Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast. This world is constantly barraging you with messages on how to live and think. It can leave you disoriented, overwhelmed when it comes to understanding how to interact with the world and talk with believers and non-believers. This podcast is here to help you learn how to think for yourself so you can be confident in your beliefs and understand why the world is the way it is and what your place in it is. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host. And without further ado, let's welcome the salty pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. <laughs> well, hello, everybody. Greetings to you. And my hope is that you and your faith will grow. One of the things that is really important to understand is that faith is a all-encompassing personification of who you are in your soul. It's what you think. It's what you believe. It's the steps and actions that you take. When Jesus Christ saves us, he saves the whole person. And senselessness is the series we're in right now, and it's a study of 1 John. Because senselessness comes when we don't know. It happens when we can't figure it out, when we believe things that uh, contradict one another. These things create cognitive dissonance in your life. So if you want to have a senseful life, a meaningful life, it's all about knowing, it's all about wisdom, about being confident, and about being courageous in the way you approach each day. And we're in a First uh, John chapter 4, yes. and we're talking a lot about love. And I think just really identifying how important love is to us and it being rooted in truth is super important. Yes. I mean, every human being is driven by the this this innate sense to seek love mm. that's true and fulfilling. I mean, we see this in movies, we mm -hmm. see this in books, we hear it in music, we mm -hmm. we we see it in marketing. I mean, every form of art, the that thing yeah. that really speaks to our soul somehow represents love. Like yes. their love is their primary thematic that they utilize. So if mm -hmm. that doesn't you mean even to non-believers they can appreciate that that's yeah. we're all on that huge search. thing, right? And so the issue, though, is that the world has perverted what our, our, our mm -hmm. real sense of what love is supposed to be so much, and then they're not finding fulfillment. They're, they've lost their, their, their yeah. way, and then they get yeah. frustrated when yeah. they're like, well, love isn't what I expected it to be. Yes. It's not all it's supposed to be. Yes. I don't understand. Yes. And if we make up this truth about what love is, we're never going to find real love because it's mm -hmm. just constantly shifting. So yes. Yes. based on John's teachings in chapter 4, what could help people discover true love in their lives? Well, if you listen to Tuesday's podcast of this week, remember that it kicks off in the first six verses where John writes to the people. He says, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And so what he's saying here is he's not talking about, you know, a ghost that's floating around. What he's actually talking about is these ideologies, these teachings. And he was addressing Gnosticism in particular. And so what happens is we have to think through and test these ideologies even inside the church in order to have wisdom to determine, okay, is this really truly and unequivocally a part of the gospel or is this something that isn't? And that's, that's really in, uh, important to do because I have seen a pattern emerge 
Uh, it's really emerged in the last 200 years of the church across the globe, but it really occurred just prior to COVID hitting. And that is over the last 20 years, there was a lot of church starts, church plants. A lot of them came to Boise, Idaho, because, you know, it's such a great place to live and it was growing and church planting movements tend to follow wherever populations are moving. You know, they, they think, oh, we're going to go there because there's lots more people there. Right. And what happens is they start uh, with a passion to reach lost people. We really want to reach unchurched people. And I'm like, yeah, that's exciting because that's definitely a part of the gospel, right? Go therefore unto all nations, you know, and so that's good. They engage in creating the most attractive environment that they can. You know, there was so much literature, so much study, so much thing that, well, churches who do this attract young families, they attract unchurched people, they attract all of this. And so uh, one church, I remember, said they say, our goal is to remove any offense except the offense of the gospel. You know, we want to make it super easy and attractive and things that people really, really like. And then what happens is then the world, as they grow, criticizes a part of who they are. Right. They'll say, well, they, uh, you guys are uh, a big church that's really, really grown, you know, not referring to foothills, but just these churches that have really grown. But you don't, you don't care about the, the poor and stuff like that. And so then the church will go, well, no, we do care about the poor. We're not that way. We do. And so they want to try to show that. And then, then somebody comes along and says, well, you don't care about uh, people in ethnic minorities. And they go, no, no, we do. We really do. See, we're, and so they preach messages and they try to talk about reconciliation and they do all this stuff. And then someone comes along and says, well, you don't care about people who identify as gay or homosexual, you know, or transgendered. And then they go, uh, no, we, we're not that way. We're not like all those other churches that used to be that way. We, we, we really uh, are welcoming to people who are going through these issues. Well, without realizing it, what they are doing is they are conceding the premise. And in logic, this is a fallacy. See, instead of when, when the world criticizes you, instead of being defensive and saying, no, we're not really that way, what you, we should say is, why do you interpret that in this way? Right. What's wrong with your reasoning? But see, we don't do that. And so now you have churches who are no longer preaching the gospel. They preach all, they spend all their time talking about how accepting God is of all of these divergent lifestyles. Now, I think at its root, the gospel is, God accepts and loves everyone in order to redeem them from their lifestyle. Right. <laughs> you see, that's the point. But that part of the gospel is lost. Pastor Harv has a, a great way of saying it. He goes, people spend more time in church identifying their, with their sin and what identifies them sinfully than with their Savior who redeems them. Mm. And I, I think, boy, he, he nailed it. Harvisms, right? Yeah, Har boy, Harv's got more isms than you'll ever imagine. They are awesome. So at its core, the gospel is the very definition of true love. And you see, you ask the question, based on John's teaching, why is truth so important to love? Well, 
it is critical because if you don't know the truth, you don't know what real love is. If you depart from the truth, you're not being loving regardless of what the world says, right? So remember, the world killed the followers of Jesus. Jesus said, if you follow me, you will be persecuted. So if your role as a church, if your primary goal as a church is to be liked by the community, Mm. then you've set the wrong goal. You have the wrong mission. Your goal should be to love your community. Just like when you love your kids, if you try to be your kids' friends and get your kids to like you all the time, you will raise messed up kids. (laughs) If you are a parent and you parent your kids properly, you raised up awesome kids. And a lot of times your kids don't like you and they say silly things like, I hate you. You've ruined my social life. You're the strictest parents in the world. I can't wait to move out of this house. Well, just prepare yourself to hear that, right? Because your goal isn't to get your kids to like you. Your goal is to do what? Raise great human beings. Right. And sometimes the best way to tell to raise a great kid, a mature kid, is to say, no, no, you can't have that. No. So anyway, I think that's what's really critical is why truth is so critical to true love. Because when we take away the truth, we don't become more loving. We become more confused and then it becomes senseless. Well, and I think we see this a lot, especially on the creative arts side of yeah. things. Um, as as I've kind of been researching other churches and seeing what they've been doing with COVID or just in general, we mm-hmm. see these these attempts to what they think are called, you know, breaking down barriers because they're like, well, if we just make it really easy for someone to come in, yeah. maybe they'll hear something. But they're they're seceding things over and over and over again. They're they're playing into these ideas of, oh, well, well, we'll take this out or we won't do that. We won't do that. Or let's do this really edgy video that'll that'll really get people going. And it's just like, you know, and artists, you know, creative people in general, they've already got their own little leanings and, yeah, <laughs> and sure. you gotta they they have their own tendencies, which is why they're creative and that's great. But then it can get really out of control under the idea of trying to lead more people to Jesus, they kind of get lost along the way. They get out in the weeds and then they get confused yeah, and, yeah, and absolutely. lose track of it. So I think that's super important. Yep. So identifying what that truth is and sticking to it, and you can be creative around it, but sticking to that truth and not seceding those points is really important. So yeah. why is truth so important to discovering real love? Well, I think I think you're pointing into it, and, and that is, is that creatively when people try to resonate with their audience, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get an emotional response out of them. The The difficulty with that though is, is that all emotional responses are not biblical or good or righteous. And emotional responses are temporary. Yeah. They're temporary. They're they are not, they do not stick. They don't around. stick. Yeah. So the key is, is, and this is what's really odd is that I'm not, as you know, opposed to any creative stuff. I'm usually, yeah, let's try that. That's cool. You're right. usually the one going, Pastor Doug, that's a little red. so I get crazy out there. But the thing about it is that, it, you know, it's always innately woven in everything I do is that, yeah, I want to resonate with people. I want to uh, elicit an emotional response for the purpose of preaching the gospel. Right. And no matter what, I don't want you to feel good about your alienation from God. 
Mm. I want to point out how desperately isolating, alone, and senseless it is. And that's why truth is so critical is because until you understand that truth, you'll never discover what real love is. All your definitions of love are material and earthly based. Therefore, they're perverted until you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Mm. That is a critical point. And people are like, well, how do you know that, Pastor? Well, let me, according to John, in chapter four, you cannot find true love outside of knowing God. We love because of why? He first loved us. So he is the originator, the author, the definer of what real love is. And so until you know him, you won't truly understand the nature and essence of real love. Today, atheism, scientific materialism, secular humanism, all of these groups basically say there's no such thing as real love, this authentic, altruistic, agape, unconditional love. It doesn't exist because sentient human beings don't exist. That's their position. Number two, in Buddhism, real love, this authentic altruistic love doesn't exist because the point of Buddhism is to remove any and all expectations. So you're not disappointed because that's where all pain comes from. Uh, I could talk about Hinduism and Taoism and Taoism and all these other things, but uh, in respect of the time that we have for everybody, I'd rather talk about what I call American spiritualism. And what people don't realize is that 90 some percent of the people who live in America say they believe in God mm. and upwards of 70, 80% of people who live in America will say, I'm a Christian, either in Roman Catholicism form or in a Protestant form. But only about 40-some percent of people say that I'm a member of a church or I affiliate with any religious uh, movement. And then when you boil it all down, less than 24% of the population of the United States actually attends church once a year. So... So that there's there's a interesting thing going on there because people say they believe one thing and they end up living in the opposite direction. I call that American spiritualism. And American spiritualism is based on the expressive self and it primarily revolves around our sexual desires. Now you're like, okay, what in the world am I talking about? <laughs> well, let me, let me explain it this way, okay? One of the things that really drives American culture, particularly philosophically, and this was rooted into all of the philosophy departments of all of our universities over the last 100 years. Rousseau is still the primary and most influential philosopher. He was a French liberal philosopher um, in the American elite and throughout all of our cultural, what we would call influencers. Rousseau believes specifically that the internal you, the authentic you, is, is what's most important, okay? And society is what makes you inauthentic. Society's the problem. And okay. you see this in our politics. For instance, criminals aren't criminals because they have a problem being with morality or they have a problem with self-control or impulsivity. It's culture or society made them that way. And if we change society, then guess what? People won't commit crimes anymore. So it's kind of this utopian thing is that if we can just fix society, we'll fix all of our 
problems. That's what Rousseau believed. But uh, what's really fascinating is Dr. Truman and his, uh, he's kind of an expert on Rousseau, and he wrote a book called The Rise and Triumph of the Expressive Self. He says this on page 125, the individual is most authentic when acting out in public those desires and feelings that characterize his inner psychological life. So society is completely changed by this Rousseauian definition. And that is society exists for only one purpose. And that is for whatever you think your most authentic self is, is to go out and express it publicly. And then that's to be affirmed. Now, if you think through this concept, which is rooted into our culture, then what you will find out is that that's absolute absurdity mm. because it's very, uh, uh, Aldous Huxley, Huxley wrote a book about, uh, about this. Um, and a lot of young people in high school are required to read it. And he talks about a dystopian future and, but he picked up on this thing that Rousseau said. And basically this is what in that culture that he writes, uh, in this book, this novel, is that if somebody wants to have sex with you and you say no, then you're a bad person. What? <laughs> yeah, that's that's the ethic in the society, and that that's and you can see this ethic coming up in American society, in our media, and our universities, and our pundits, and in. Uh, uh, leftist, progressive thought, these types of things. And it all comes from Rousseau's principle on what's, why society exists. Then you add Wadsworth and uh, a couple other of these poets and stuff like that in the late 1800s going to the 1900s. And what they did is they started to talk about, well, your most authentic self is your sexual self. And then the sexual revolution comes along in the 60s, brings all this together and just explodes. No, and nobody disagrees in American society that the sexual revolution in the 60s was, was a defining moment in the history of the United States. Mm. It, was, it was a massive social and cultural shift. And so the synthesis of sexual desire being expressed in public is now your most authentic self. Well, I think it's really important to understand how we got to where we're at. I mean, right. I kind of break it down to like, if you watch a, a dance performance, you look at it and you're like, oh my gosh, that was so amazing. I don't know how they did that. But when you go back and you can watch the choreography, you're like, oh, it's just this movement. And then this movement moved into that movement. And yeah. it's step by step. And then suddenly you have a much better understanding of how it looked the way right. it did. Similar with software, like you can see an end product and you can go, oh, there's no way that, you know, that just happened. And it's like, well, no, it went through all of these Somebody generations. designed it. Somebody designed it, went through all these different mm -hmm. steps. Why There's tons of YouTube videos of watching people time-lapse their process of yeah. getting there. And it's the same thing in understanding how the world got to where it's at and where we're mm -hmm. at with our beliefs um, or the world's beliefs is these step-by-step -step things that got us there. Yes. So in the end, how did we get here? What, what does this all mean? Well, it has really dramatic impact on us. And what I'd like to do is use a case study, okay, that just shows how this is accelerating in American society. Uh, in 2008, President Obama was elected. That was a historical moment. He was the first black president elected to office. 
And in his platform, he talked about how same-sex marriage was unacceptable in American society. But in 2012, during the second, uh, you know, he got elected a second time. So second term. His second term. He, they, they shifted their policy and saying that, well, we want to change this because now it is a right. So they changed their position on that. And then in 2016, the Obama administration was arguing a case uh, prior to that before the Supreme Court. And in 2016, the Supreme Court then ruled same-sex marriage is a right. So, so in just basically 12 years ago, you know, people were like, we, nobody, and nobody was saying, Hey, we should like carve out a group of people that identify this way and discriminate against them. All that discrimination is long, has been long gone. Right. It wasn't there at all, but there was this notion in our society that, Hey, people have different positions on this. People have different moral stances on this. People have some religious convictions about this. And so instead of saying, Hey, what we're going to do is try to figure out a way to let everybody have a common value that we could go. What happened is society uh, starting in 2012, the argument before the Supreme court culminated in 2016, the case in which they said sex, same sex marriage is a right in 2017. You could be sued if you didn't provide a service to same sex couples. So photographers, florists, bakers, uh, uh, chefs, uh, people who, provide food and for any types of events, venues, all of these kinds of things were being sued as discriminatory if they didn't provide the same service. And in 2018, then you were fired for disagreeing with same-sex marriage. You could be fired. Mm -hmm. uh, the man who actually created the web browser Firefox, right, was run out of his own company that he started because he gave money. He didn't even say what his position was, but he gave money to a ballot initiative in California that was opposed to establishing same-sex marriage in the California Constitution. So this has gone on and on. In 2020, you are now canceled, banned from Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You are uh, shunned if you believe that same-sex marriage isn't the best approach for society. So there's no such thing as conscientious or well-reasoned or logical opposition to these policy procedures. And so this, this, and how do we shift? How do, could we swing the pendulum so quickly in 12 years? You think about that. That's absolutely fascinating. Mm. How quick that, uh, that today a, I read a new survey came out and it says the majority of Republicans now support same sex marriage. And my point isn't to say whether your position on same-sex marriage is good or bad. My point is, is how do you go from one side to the other side in a 12-year period? Well, the point is all about noticing the shift and how dramatic the shift has become. Because what happens is you're seeing the Rousseauian idea of why society exists become more and more prominent. So these things shift so quickly 
because the point is that the your authentic self is what your is your psychological self, your inner self. And society exists for no other reason than to support and affirm whatever you want to be mm. or whatever how you express yourself. So that's how it shifted so quickly. And and what's interesting is that let's take the flag as another case study. In American culture, everybody stood for the flag because it was the one thing that united us. Men and women who served often would say, I disagree with what you say, but I'll fight for your right to say it. You know, that was the value. Well, today the flag has become that if you're not kneeling against the flag in a sporting event, you somehow support racism. You know, so you you would go and you would see these uh, NFL football teams and they're out there and say, we're all going to kneel now is a protest against America. And to construe it as anything else is is disingenuous and intellectually dishonest. We're all going to do that. So if you have a person who stands. Then that person is is shunned and aided. This is Gramsci's notion, the Italian fascist of a cultural hegemony. That vibe is more powerful than any law the government can ever pass. And so you see that over and over again. Drew Brees, he said, look, I support the fact that uh, my, people in my family fought. I, I just I'm always going to stand for the flag and I don't like it when people don't. Well, he was crucified. You know, and I, I believe the mistake that he made was he apologized for his convictions because what that said to the whole world is, well, you weren't doing that because that was a conviction. You were doing that because you have a problem of bigotry. See, see, that's how this cultural game is played. But notice how now it shifted from everybody stood for the flag to if you stand for the flag, then you're somehow supporting racism. That's how it shifted. You know, we went to a soccer tournament, you know, my mm-hmm. son and I, and he's really into soccer now. And well, everybody's required to take a knee, <laughs> you know, before the match starts. It's just crazy. How has it become that if you are not kneeling for the flag, you are the outlier? Now, I'm not saying standing for the flag is a unique Christian position. I'm not trying to make it Christian at all. All I'm simply saying is, can you notice how quickly things are shifting in our culture in an attempt to manipulate and control them? I think it's really interesting that no one sees i mean i think they are starting to see it because i mean even the um i mean this like shifting sand underneath you kind of a thing and it's like initially i think there was a lot of people even you know despite uh political lines were like okay i can kind of see this but now it's starting to whiplash back and forth so much that even you know a, a lot of this uh comes from the progressive side as far as deciding you know they're they're leading a lot of these these things but they're even starting to be like well maybe we're like getting a little too like all over the place Mm -hmm. like they're starting to even be like maybe we need to like chill out a little bit and at least settle on some things because right now it's kind of like they let the an avalanche go out and they're like, Oh, well it's a controlled avalanche. And now the, uh, the wildfire yeah, or the avalanche control. is yeah. gone yeah. out of control and they've, they've lost control yes. of it. And so having any kind of moral standards is now yeah. impossible because what is and isn't okay is constantly shifting yeah. now because truth is 
relative. And they bought into the Rousseauian definition of society. Society isn't existing to have a common morality or even a common agreement that we all say, okay, I can agree to that. Right. You do you, I'll do me, but we'll, this will be fair. No, society doesn't exist for that. It exists to affirm whatever thing you want. And so the avalanche, there's, once you buy into that, there's no, there's no such thing as control avalanche. Yeah. Yeah, You're right. It's completely shifting sand. So, how is this playing out in the churches today? Well, you're seeing the shift from what's happening in our general culture move right into the church. The church uh, and social justice today is a big thing. There's a lot of churches that are embracing what they call social justice. And I'd just like to point out that the church is not called to social justice. It's called to justice. Justice. When you put an adjective in front of it, you are only doing so so that you can manipulate the meaning, the true meaning of the word. God is a God of justice, period. End of story. Every time you, as if you say you're a Christian and you try to put a moniker in front of it, you're trying to manipulate the will of God into your own agenda. That's what you're doing. There is no way you can get around that. You have to say, in this situation, is this just or is it unjust? A lot of churches that are buying into social justice, buy into political ideologies that history has proven to be some of the most evil ideologies, like communism and socialism, and that these ideologies that have proven over and over to be the absolute denigration of the individual. It's a direct attack, an atheistic attack on Christianity and who God is and who Christ is. You have Christians who are advocating for these ideologies under the guise of social justice. So you meant, you know, the old phrase, two wrongs don't make a right, you know, yeah. you don't fight evil with evil. And that is, is that, well, because we're trying to get social justice, then we're going to do unjust or unjust things to people who deserve it because they were on some so uh, loosely defined winning side as we perceive it. Well, I'm sorry, but that is not Christianity and that has no desire to follow God. It's not based in truth. And it certainly has nothing to do with love. Right. God is love, and that means God is just. God is love, therefore he is just. Look at the issue of the church and sexual identity. Um, I'll, I'll give you a little case study to illustrate this point. A while back, there was a man who was very involved in a large ministry at another church in town, and he left. And when he, he came and he was visiting our church for a while, and he came up and he said, uh, I, I, he said, well, I'd be interested in doing ministry or something here, blah, blah, blah. He goes, but first I need to know what is your position on homosexuality? And so I responded to him that, uh, well, uh, I affirm that we are all people who are sinners who need to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then he says, well, are you an affirming church? Now, what he meant by that is, are we pro-homosexuality and affirm people who are in this lifestyle that homosexuality is morally acceptable to God in your relationship with him? That's what he was asking me. Of course, I didn't answer the real question that he was asking me. I simply said, well, we affirm Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He's risen from the dead, and he is the Lord of all. And then he said to me, well, that's not what I meant. And so I said, well, what do you mean? 
And he says, uh, and then he gets to the real essence of his question, which is what he really wanted to ask the first time. He goes, are you a church that affirms that God made gay people gay? And I said, well, if you're looking for a church that tells God what his principles and values should be, then you're not looking for a church. Mm. You're not looking for a church. This is the essence of American spiritualism. It's, I want to be a spiritual person. I want to get in touch with my soul, but I want to do it on my terms, in my way, with my values. I don't want God or anything that remotely resembles God to be dictating to me what my soul actually needs in order to discover what real love is. Now, when you kind of elevate it to that point, you kind of realize, hmm, no wonder people can't find love. No wonder they're so frustrated and so aggravated and so hurt. You know, the, the, it's really important to not misconstrue what I'm saying. Uh, an authentic church is always committed to justice, to mercy and compassion. And what the world is doing to people who are dealing with these issues and churches that are trying to affirm these things as completely authentic identities in the kingdom of God are not being compassionate at all. They're not being just. They're not being merciful. What they're doing is cruel. What they're doing is destructive to human beings and to their souls. And it's calculated. It's calculated so that those people can be viewed by the world as acceptable. They're seeking not the affirmation of Jesus Christ. They're not looking for the favor of God in their life. They're looking for the affirmation of the world that gives them praise and this is dangerous. It's dangerous not to me and not to people, you know, that are in gospel preaching churches. It's dangerous to people who are lost and seeking God. And the Lord said very specifically, if you cause one of my children to stumble, then it'd be better for you that a millstone, this thing that ground flour that was so big and heavy that it took three donkeys just to get the dumb thing to turn around. <laughs> he says that'd be tied around your neck and you were thrown into the deepest ocean. So yeah. Jesus does not look kindly upon when we take his message and then we manipulate it for our own sake or for our own glory. Um, I'm not saying people who are working through these issues are not welcome in gospel preaching churches. I don't know of a single gospel preaching church in the last 30 years, 40 years, it's preaching the authentic gospel of Christ, has ever rejected people dealing with any sexual identity issue. I know of none. And I walk in these guys' circles over and over and over again. So where is that happening? I don't see it. If you find a rare occasion of some nutty guy on YouTube that preaches crazy, he's not preaching the gospel. Right. You know, he's, he's preaching his form of social justice. Now, you may disagree with it, but he's committing the same heresy on the other side of the coin that anybody else is committing. So here's why knowing philosophy and history is so important, because it allows us to know why what Jesus said is true. It allows us to understand the reality in which we live, the worldview in which we live. This is critically important. Case in point, uh, when it comes to transgendered issues in the lives of people, if a, if a man came to me and he was six foot four, he was all muscle, and he was needed counsel on how to deal with his feelings of inadequacy of being too small and too weak, what should I do? 
Should I affirm the fact that even though he's 250 pounds of cut muscle, that he's really too small and too weak? Would that be just and loving to affirm that in him? No. No, it wouldn't. What, what if a woman came to me who had given birth to three wonderful children, but she was built like Queen Latifah, and she wanted help in dealing with her sense that God meant her to be 110 pound size too? It's, I didn't. <laughs> you, she's saying, well, God wants me or God, you know, I, I see myself as 110 pound size to person. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's never not. gonna happen, you know. Or, or what if, what if someone comes to me and says, you know, uh, what if a uh, an Italian soccer player who's five foot two says, uh, God told me I was gonna play basketball in the NBA. And I'm gonna say, well, the only guy I ever knew who was five two in the NBA that played basketball was Spud Webb, but he could dunk the f- basketball. He didn't play very <laughs> long, but so, so. W- so why in the world is it loving? Why in the world is it kind? Why is it compassionate for a man to come in to me and say he's a woman trapped in a man's body and then, and then speak with the voice of God to him, allow God to speak to him and say to him, that's true. Right. Is that loving or is that cruel? I think it's cruel and it's, all you're doing is adding more cognitive dissonance. Yeah, like you're just causing more. I mean, at the time, it may be what they want to hear, but then over time, it's going to continue to create more and more dissonance. And and in sound, things exponentially stack on top of each other. So as we talk about dissonance, which is also a sound term, it creates... Yeah. Stacking waves. It's not something mm-hmm. that's one to one. Excellent it's, point. It, it, it's exponentially stacks on top of each other. So, and it just creates chaos, you know? Yeah. And so, so the thing is you might say, well, what would you say to him? And I would say, well, I, I think the issue isn't how you perceive yourself. I think the issue is, is that you're trying to use your sexual desire or your sense of identity based on a material thing like gender or something like that, instead of on being saved through the blood of Christ. And so you've got to see your soul being redeemed before you're going to be able to be set free and understand and context these things. You may have these temptations the rest of your life. You know, Um, uh, I I knew guys in high school that uh, developed all of their sexual attraction to same sex, all of them. Uh, all these guys that I knew had developed this and had it. And some felt, well, I've had this before I could remember. Others, you know, kind of developed it on purpose for their own reasoning. And uh, some of my good friends, and so I, and tracking through them through their whole life, you know, many of them have extremely healthy and biblical concepts on this. Uh, some of them are married, have, lot, have kids and doing great. Uh, but they all say the exact same thing. And they all, they all have the same concept. And that is that, well, I didn't understand what real love is. I didn't understand my sexual drive or my sexual orientation until I was redeemed by the blood of Christ. So, so it's really important is that we don't tell people who struggle with these things or anything for that matter that, well, you can't know God because you have this sin in your life. Cause that's basically saying clean up before you get to know God. Right. You, you never say that. Cause that's just not the gospel. 
the gospel says, well, you're Zacchaeus, you know, you're Mary Magdalene, you know, I'm, I'm this, you're that. We're all in the same boat. And that is, is that we can't know the truth and we can't know love and we can't know authentic, true love until we give ourselves to be redeemed by the blood of Christ. And it's in that point where we were dead and now we're brought to life. And once that happens, that's when we can start to understand the power and authenticity of what real love does to us as human beings. So as we wrap up, I kind of have a quick question and that's, I mean, I guess it's not going to be quick, but <laughs> as we wrap up, what would you say to a girl that comes to you and says, maybe she's in her twenties. She says she's gay. What's, what's your response to that? Okay. Well, I guess what I would do is, uh, I've actually had this conversation many, many times, uh, over the last 35 years. The first thing I would do is I'd ask them him or her, why do you think you're gay? And I'm not asking them because I'm trying to challenge something. What I'm trying to get is, is to try to understand where their conviction comes from. Right. Right. And so in other words, what makes you a person gay? And quite, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get, what does that mean to you? And, and quite often it comes down to this. I love people of the same sex. And then I generally respond as, well, so do I. So, but I don't identify as gay and you do. Right. What's the difference between the two? And then what's love to you? And it always comes down to sex. It always comes down to, well, the difference between my attraction and love for same sex people is different than yours because I, I'm sexually attracted. And I would say, well, that's true because I'm not sexually attracted right. to same sex people. And so, so at that point, they get very upset with me, mm. not because I've said anything they've done is wrong, not because, but because they realize they're smart enough to realize that they have clarified what they really believe. You see, they're clarifying what they believe and where this conviction comes from. And so when that happens, they challenge me and they say things like this, well, God made me this way. And so and then of course my next question is, well, how do you know that? Well, if this isn't right, then why did God do this to me? And so my next, well, how do you know God did this to you? And I'm not trying to be, you know, facetious or dis divisive. I'm just trying to say is what we're talking about is something that you're absolutely unequivocally convinced in your own life is true. How do you know it's true? How did you get to that truth? <laughs> yeah. How did you get to it? You know, this is your journey, not my journey. Right. It's your journey. And I'm not trying to, I don't want you to feel bad about your journey, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to lie about your journey. You see, uh, and so your feelings about your journey right now are not the primary concern. The primary concern is truth because the journey with Jesus always ends where in true love, the journey with Jesus always ends into the fullness of the soul, a healing of the soul, a restoration of the soul, which is what everybody wants. Right. So how is it affirming and loving and not cruel if I lie to people and take their emotions as the primary thing as Rousseau wants me to do? Say, that's your real authentic self. And I'm trying to say, well, maybe Rousseau was a liar. Maybe he wasn't as smart as he thought he was. Yeah, maybe he lied. Maybe he wasn't right. That isn't your authentic self. What does Jesus say is your authentic self? 
uh, how, how, you know, they say to me, well, how can you say sexual attraction to people the same sex as sin when I can't control it? You know, um, well, how do you know that? I'm, I'm not, I'm just trying to say is that you're, I want you, regardless of what you're dealing with, I want you to find true love and I want your soul to be healed and I want you to walk with Jesus. You're never going to be a perfect person ever. None of us are. None of us are. If we say we have no sin, we make him out to be a liar and the truth is not in us. Okay. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What, what is wrong with unrighteousness? Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with it is it kills love. It kills love. It destroys love. And it messes me up. It makes me a toxic human being, an unhealthy human being. Unrighteousness destroys me. And most anything it does is it robs me of what I need and want the most. And that is a soul that has been healed and restored and and walks in real, true, authentic love. Mm. That's what I would say. Well, those are some very deep thoughts. I know we ran a little long today, but I don't think this is something we wanted to breeze through. We're talking about some pretty heavy topics and things that really matter in this day and age, but also all the cross time. I mean, love is one of the most important driving factors and making sure we understand what true love is, is the biggest thing we can probably do. So um, we really appreciate you guys joining us. We hope that you will um, tune in on Sunday. Pastor Doug's going to be preaching, tying this whole um, topic of love up into a nice little bow on Sunday. So it's the third step in your salty pastor journey every week, Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. So make sure you guys have some conversations like Pastor Doug was talking about. A lot of it's more about just conversing as he has these conversations with people. It helps you define what you believe. It helps people clarify what they believe. And those conversations are important. So make sure you're having conversations about what you're listening to, what you're hearing, what you're thinking about, because those things matter. Thank you guys so much for joining us, and we'll see you on Sunday here at Foothills Church in beautiful Boise, Idaho. Blessings on you all.